You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and canicurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them <clears throat> Sorry, for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Monday, May 30th, 2022. This is episode number 290. <clears throat> we want to thank our veterans for the, their service. Happy Memorial Day, everyone. It's because of our veterans that we have our freedom and are still living in a democracy. Let's honor them by making sure we keep both of those things. So don't forget to vote. Okay, let's keep moving on the show. I'm Susan Sorries, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's favorite grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 31,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today, we're talking about the cannabis tourism industry, a death sentence for cannabis avoided in Singapore, natural healing centers owner gets 22 months in federal prison, Alan Iverson getting into the cannabis game, an ER doctor on pot safety, marijuana companies teaming up to sue the federal government with an all-star legal team, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. <clears throat> Find him on TEDx. Oh, great. I just lost my script. Here we go. Or at one of his Cannavision events. <clears throat> but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What you got for us today, Rico? All right, all right, all right. My story is from Forbes uh, by Will Yakowitz and Suzanne Rowan Keller. Kelleher, excuse me. And it is... Uh, Cannabis tourism is now a $17 billion industry just taking off. We talk about cannabis tourism quite a bit here on the State of Cannabis News Hour, but just how mainstream is it really? Forbes says it's a $17 billion industry in its infancy. The, art the article starts off following Adrian from Georgia, who's never been in a dispensary before and wanted a professional to give her a guide. So she booked a San Fran trip with Emerald Farm Tours, um, which guided her through uh, her and other cannabis enthusiasts to local dispensaries and providing tours of uh, Bay Area indoor grows. She spent around 1500 for a half-day tour, a good selection of, um, of weed, and a hotel room. Months later, she rebooked with the same company. This time, she did a full-day tour up in uh, Mendocino, which is hours north of San Fran. Of course, she didn't travel all the way to, she didn't have to travel all the way up there to enjoy the vacation, um, as 19 states and D.C. have now legalized recreational uh, or adult-use cannabis. And according to a Harris poll, 68% of American adults support adult use now. This is as, uh, as uh, close as May. So there's a Harris poll in May. 50% of millennials say that access to legal recreational cannabis is important when choosing their vacation destinations. 43% of them say that they specifically chosen a destination because cannabis was legal there. Uh, Victor Pino, uh, co-founder of Emerald Farm Tours, says he's uh, says travel's been largely ignored by tourism boards and they're, and they're leaving 
literally millions of dollars on the table. Um, his tip, his typical stoner uh, customer spends three hundred to four hundred dollars at the dispensary uh, during their visits, three times as much as local transactions. Per the article, it's still unclear exactly how big cannabis tourism will become or what its potential economic impact on the one point two trillion dollar U.S. tourism economy uh, will be. But early data is very promising. MMGY Travel Intelligence Insights found in a pre-pandemic poll taken in 2020, 18% of total American vacationers are interested in cannabis-related experiences. Um, That number jumps to 62% when the focus is narrowed to cannabis-consuming adults over age 21 with an annual household household income over 50,000. Remember the bullshit trickle down economics trope, rising tide lifts all boats. Well, it actually works in this in- instance. Um, of the $25 billion legal cannabis sales in 2021, Forbes estimated 4.5 billion of that was driven by tourists who in turn added $12.6 billion into local restaurants, hotels, attractions, and other shops, and into state and municipality um, tax coffers. Bo Whitney, founder and chief economist at Whitney Economics, um, says, for every dollar spent at cannabis retailers, there's a multiplier effect of an additional $2.80 injected into the local economy as mostly passive income with no real local promotion. And you look at Colorado, they brought in $423 million in taxes last year, but their tourism office doesn't even mention weed on their website. Uh, while Colorado may not be proactively trying to attract tourists, um, Denver's Patterson Inn, a nine-bedroom boutique hotel, is doing just the opposite. Uh, they have a thousand square foot club, which will be renamed the 420 Suite, uh, opening to paying hotel guests by the end of the year. They call it the Soho House of Weed. Uh, cannabis Ca- Travel Association International reports new research painting the typical cannabis traveler looking less like a stereotypical stoner, more like any other uh, upscale vo- vacationer. Um, just as likely to be female as male, 63% of millennials are younger. Um, college-educated, 82% employed with average household income of $87,000. So they are keeping up there in the pocket area. So CTAI founder um, and our good friend Brian Applegar said by 2025, 50% of travelers in the U.S. are going to be millennials, and the relationship to cannabis is way different than the boomers are today. Um, Everybody's a stoner. Everybody consumes, and it's going to continue trickling upwards. So... um, for sake of time, I'm going to keep on going down to the end of the article here. And um, it says, outside of California, there are a few other major highlights um, that are Michigan Cannabis Trail, helping visitors explore legal cannabis offerings in the Great Lakes region. Kentucky Hemp Highway, celebrating CBD-only crops across the bluegrass state. And Florida allegedly has game-changer potential for East Coasters, um, as it's the second in the nation behind California for overall tourism, bringing in $99 billion visitor spending average since 2019. They also boast the country's largest medical cannabis market at $1 billion. So there's a lot of good info in this article, and I kind of got lost in the weeds here, uh, but I definitely do recommend checking it out. And I'm interested in hearing um, of any more destinations outside of our California bubble. Where do y'all think the next top top destination could be? And if you guys have any tips, please share them. This is Rico Lamit, dopest dad on the street. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. Back to you, Susan. Thanks, Rico. You know, my dream job would be to have a bud and breakfast in Santa Barbara County somewhere. So if anybody's got some property, want to get together and do that, I think it'd be really fun to uh, do the Southern California farm tour and uh, just, you know, have cannabis activities at a a fun, a fun residence. You know, we in Santa Barbara County, uh, Susan, and surrounding areas, I'm sure, have had challenges uh, coexisting with other crops, specifically grapes and the wineries. And I think that this article really shows that there's a huge opportunity and they shouldn't necessarily be separate. They should be embracing tourism as a whole. I agree so much, Liz. They need to embrace it because it it really does help the rest of the community and uh just like looking at the uh the munchies effect you know that people are going to be out in from out of state they're going to be high as fuck (laughs) you know they're going to be eating up everything and be overpaying and over tipping probably too and they'll be using all those other ancillary services when they're in town like the lyft people the uber people gas stations so i think it's a boon for everyone great story all the people 
you have any more uh, uh, tips, uh, Mr. President of West Hollywood Cannabis Tourism, Jason Beck? Make sure that you come and visit West Hollywood and see all the amazing weed that the city has to offer. We've got Divinicus up from the audience. Did you want to weigh in on this headline? Uh, I think it's beautiful. And, you know, the thing I was trying to say is, you know, we should pass a bill through Congress to make cannabis the 51st state. <laughs> what? Ridiculous. Huh? That's the most dumbest shit ever. <laughs> yeah. The state of cannabis. Hello. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Right? Oh, I got <laughs> it. Stupid. See what you did there, and I dig it. Yes, Dr. Bong. What you got? You're on mute, Dr. Bong. Sorry, I always do that. Hey, everybody, uh, remember the Fallen on Memorial Day? I think New York City has the potential to, you know, knock something out the park because we are the number one tourist destination in the world. Bronx here. What up, Rico? Peace. What up, Dr. Bong? So I, I also wanted to say, just as a side note, I, I'm also a veteran. I appreciate your your honors. And... Uh, I'm also a maker of Ormus. A lot of people don't know what that is, but it's a it's a mystical. Let's keep smoking the news. He's the industry's longest continuously running retailer with an affinity for smoking the best weed in the weed in the world and calling out Boof as it is terrible. Up next is the. Cannabis industry's very own Kaiser Brose, known in Detroit as White Gucci, Mr. Jason Beck. What you got for us in this beautiful Memorial Day weekend? Or oh, Memorial Day yeah. Monday, I should say. Oh, yeah. Happy Memorial Day, everyone out there. And today, mine has, my story is a warning. Where the FDA warns four companies for selling unapproved animal drugs that contain CBD. A handful of companies have landed in the crosshairs of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, a.k.a. the FDA, for illegally selling unapproved CBD products intended for use in food-producing animals. The FDA announced May 26th that it had issued warning letters to four businesses, Hanai, H-A-N-I-E-L, Concepts, DBA, Free State Oils, Hope Botanicals, Plantasia, LLC, DBA, Com CBD KAHM and Kingdom Harvest for violating the Federal Food Drug and Cosmetics Act. Under the, feder- the Federal Food Drugs and Cosmetics Act, any product intended to treat a disease or otherwise have a therapeutic or medical use, and any product other than a food that is intended to affect the structure or function of the body of humans or animals is a drug, FDA officials wrote in the announcement. The FDA has not approved any human or animal products containing CBD other than the one prescription drug product to treat rare severe forms of epilepsy in children. That prescription drug is called Epidiolex and was approved back in 2018, and the FDA considers all other CBD products that are intended for use as, that that are intended for use as a drug uh, as of unapproved drugs that remain illegal to sell, according to the agency's release. The companies that receive the warning letters claim that their CBD products help farm animals with stress, anxiety, and pain, inflammation, and injuries, and provide support to help manage normal stress, promote a calming effect, maintain a healthy gut, and maintain a normal or balanced behavior, and maintain healthy joints, and maintain normal inflammatory responses, according to the FDA's announcement. These these claims, FDA officials said, establish the intended use of the products as drugs. Unapproved drugs like these CBD products have not been evaluated by the FDA to determine whether they are effective for their intended use, what their proper dosage might be, how the products could interact with FDA-approved drugs, and whether or not they have dangerous side effects or the sa- or f- and other safety concerns, FDA officials said in the release. The agency is concerned about these products because of the potential safety risks for the animals that consume them, as well as the lack of data regarding the safety of human food products, such as meat, milk, and eggs, that are produced from the animals that have consumed the CBD products in question, according to the announcement. After a food-producing animal is treated with a drug, residues of that drug may be present in the milk, eggs, and meat if that animal is if if that animal is milked. Eggs are collected or the animal is sent to slaughter before the drug is completely out of the system. FDA officials said in the release 
Part of the animal drug approval process includes setting a withdrawal period to establish the minimum amount of time between the last dose of the drug and the slaughter or harvesting of food products from the treated animal. Since the CBD is an unapproved drug, the FDA has not had the opportunity to evaluate CBD residues in food or to establish an appropriate withdrawal period. The FDA also cited concerns about the manufacturing processes used in producing these products. In addition, the manufacturing uh, processes of unapproved CBD drugs Products have not been reviewed by the FDA as part of the human animal drug approval processes. An agency official said in an announcement, the FDA has received reports of some CBD products containing contaminants such as pesticides and heavy metals, thus introducing additional concerns for the use of CBD products. And hold on, hold your horses, everybody, because FDA officials also worry that consumers may postpone seeking professional medical care for their animals, such as getting a proper diagnosis, treatment, or supportive care because they're relying on unproven claims associated with unapproved CBD products, according to the release. The four companies that received the warning letters also sell CBD products meant for human consumption, as well as adulterated human foods that have been marketed as dietary supplements, including oils, creams, extracts, salves, and gummies. And the FDA said in its announcement, the agency has requested responses from the businesses within 15 working days outlining how they will address these violations. According to the release, failure to respond could result in legal action, such as product seizure or injunction. And the FDA has issued dozens of warning letters over the past several years to, to different CBD companies. The officials recently set their sights on the Delta 8 THC industry issuing the first five warning letters earlier this month to companies that the agency claimed were making unapproved new drugs, misbranding their, their wares, and unlawfully adding Delta 8 to food-grade products. We'll take that, Supreme Court. What you got to say about that, uh, Delta 8? And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. So if, if cannabis was descheduled on a federal level, uh, the FDA would no longer have any uh, authority over it, correct. correct? Okay. Deschedule or bust. Deschedule or bust. Hey, uh, Jason, I had no idea you can uh, milk a cat. What? No idea what? You could milk a cat. The thing is, if you look at this, like dosage, actually, so how much is actually even getting to the byproduct that people are getting? Because how much are they actually even giving them? I mean, cost effective wise. And then also, obviously, we know the source is key. I don't know any why anyone who would have animals for slaughter or production would be using something like that that would risk and, it. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Who's using this? Right. Right. It sounds expensive. Yeah. But All the right. FDA likes to send letters. They love to send letters. So, yeah, we're working. The, we're working hard over here. They love the, to send letters and seize product. And on the other side of that, though, I personally have seen, and I'm sure other people here have, that CBD can be very helpful for some animals. So, I encourage people to be educated about it. I also agree with that. I recently had a pet that passed away 18 and a half year old cat and for the four years that he uh prior he was on cbd and it changed his life tremendously and just warning the fda does warn against all of these products and says that they are all unadulterated drugs food is also yeah, but a FDA, medicine but i don't see them uh having problems with that i don't think any food is a medicine anymore it's all entirely unhealthy not the food that's in grandma's garden all those boof tomatoes and that out absolutely wonderful kale that I'm still eating. Yes. But let's keep smoking the news. All right, coming up next, this badass can of mom is the co-founder of the International Cannabis Bar Association, curtain chair of the Bar Association of San Francisco Cannabis Law sex Section, and founder of San Francisco Equity Applicant Pro Bono Legal Project and the organic, organic source for the silkiest, smoothest <laughs> vocal cords in the Western Hemisphere. Coming up next, it's Larda Caro. Thanks, Jason. You're awesome. Thank you so much. So first, I know Susan shouted out at the top of the hour. I just wanted to reiterate um, and express, you know, my respect for all of our veterans out there today, including my dad, rest in peace, um, as we, you know, take these moments today to honor them and, and everything they do every day. Uh, so my article is um, from Kyle Yeager, one of our, our favorite authors for Marijuana Moment. It's marijuana companies teaming up to sue federal government with all-star legal firm. 
Um, so apparently, Boys Schiller Flexner LLP has been hired to represent multiple MSOs, potentially multiple MSOs, um, to sue the federal government with uh, making two claims. Uh, the first would be surrounding an attack on the ability of the federal government to regulate intrastate commerce, that is, commerce that allegedly occurs entirely within the boundaries of one state. The second claim is as against Internal Revenue Code 280E, which I'm certain most people on this uh, in this podcast are familiar, which is the prohibition on most deductions for cannabis businesses in consideration of their payment of taxes to the IRS. So anyways, this law firm apparently has a long list of prior clients that includes the Justice Department, former VP Al Gore, um, and the uh, plaintiffs who had successfully attacked Prop 8, which was California's ban on same-sex marriage. According to this article, Abner Curtin, founder and CEO of Ascend Wellness Holdings, told Marijuana Moment that this is, quote, an industry-wide effort with at least six major cannabis operators, quote, favorably disposed to join in these filing, uh, these filings, which would focus on, of course, interstate commerce and 280E. Curtin apparently named Cureleaf, Terrasound, and the American Trade Association of Cannabis and Hemp, but uh, those are not apparently committed yet, according to the article. Full disclosure, um, apparently Terrasound supports Marijuana Moment with a Patreon <laughs> um, uh, pledge, and um, Terrasound is a client of mine once they acquired uh, the Apothecarium and State Flower. Anyway, the federal government's position on its influence over interstate commerce has been largely based in market fungibility, according to this article, or the fact that just because a given item is grown in one state, it can still affect pricing in other states, and therefore the federal still, government still has jurisdiction over the intrastate industries under the Commerce Clause. The author points to uh, an unnamed 2005 Supreme Court case for that proposition, presumably Gonzalez v. Raich, um, which held that even though the cannabis plants in question stayed within California, it could have had an impact on the national illicit market for cannabis, therefore reinstating the federal government's hold over this prohibition on intrastate commerce. But Mr. Curtin thinks that that is no longer the case for state legal marijuana because the markets have matured, he said, uh, and th th this undermines the notion that cannabis grown in one state could impact the pricing elsewhere. But I would argue that this proposition is extremely dangerous and very short-sighted, especially considering the current political climate. And not mentioned in this article, but a very real issue remaining is the validity of Title II of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. The case that we all learned at law school is the Heart of Atlanta Hotel, in which the federal government successfully used the Interstate Commerce Clause to prevent hotels from refusing services to people of color, based solely on the color of their skin, who are traveling through their state. So this may actually be a very dangerous attack to take on the principle of purported legalization and that they, these MSOs don't have an, any impact on interstate commerce. So Curtin says that the implications of resolving this um, you know, would ultimately give cannabis businesses access to both banking and major stock exchanges, but it's not entirely clear to me how that would happen. He also said that resolving the IRS issue could be retroactive assuming that maybe these businesses could amend their prior returns to take advantage of these new rules. Mr. Curtin clearly has an expectation this will eventually reach the Supreme Court if Congress fails to act on prohibition first. And in this extremely states' rights positive environment, I think he may be right. He also opined in the article, I think that the fact that one of the leading constitutional firms in the United States is willing and eager to take this case speaks volumes to the seriousness of the action and the potential likelihood of success. Um, but the law firm had no comment in the case. I think that this could set some extreme precedent as a very single issue motivator, um, but you know maybe it will be enough to get Congress to act on meaningful legislation. My name is Laura DeCarlo, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour, and I'm curious to hear if anybody else has any thoughts on this one.
Yeah, I mean, the 280E being retroactive, that would be maybe billions of dollars. Right. Don't and, hold your breath. Right, I'm, exactly. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know David Boyce, and I, and I met with him uh, a number of years ago um, talking about this exact uh, legal strategy, and I'm, I seriously doubt that, that the cannabis industry is going to put the necessary funds to actually have any type of meaningful effect that his firm could enact. Yeah, yeah. What do you think this lawsuit would cost? In the millions, in the millions. It's going to be at least how, five how million much? as a minimum. Yeah. I, I don't know, but, um, <clears throat> you know, it's it's two lawsuits. One would attack the CSA and one would attack uh, the IRC, 280E. Um, so I think that they've bifurcated this for multiple reasons. One, you know, being the potential that one gets tossed, um, you know, and I think that that, that is a very, um, uh, I would say, um, uh, premeditated. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm like Rico this morning. I'm really low energy and I'm, my, my words are escaping my brain. But, um, you know, I think that, that, that there is a good reason for them to be um, making this into two separate lawsuits, but that would increase the cost. So I think I agree with Jason. And ordinarily, I wouldn't say $5 million to take any kind of case like this all the way up to the Supreme Court. But hopefully we get, you know, congressional action in the interim. And so that this becomes moot. Um, and um, we get some real relief at the federal level. So, Jason, what do you say? Don't hold your breath. <laughs> Past safe banking. I was expecting you to say. Well, that, 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 that's in the pipeline. <laughs> that's in the pipeline. I had some amazing calls over this weekend. And, yes, you're 100% right, Laura. We need to pass safe banking. <laughs> well, Fuck your big banking. Yeah, right. We're going to make banking we safer again. Well, look, I mean, I think that this is really reckless, right? I think that um, attacking, you know, which like um, Gonzalez v. Reich tried to do, uh, attacking um, the interstate commerce clause just for the ability to, like, what? Um, well, I, I, I don't see how this actually really changes much. The states have been left to regulate this within their own borders on their own terms. That's think so. Yeah, and we, we risk significant other protections that are provided to people um, in the United States based on the fact that, that you know, um, that the government has the obligation to protect people whose uh, rights may be affected by these types of decisions made by states, such as getting a hotel room or getting access to medical care as a woman. And it's a big deal. Great point. Let's keep on smoking the news and up next. I know I got low energy like Black Jeb Bush today, but this next one got me <laughs> like a mug. <laughs> Making her Memorial Day return, this industry chef, consultant, advocate, and co-chairman of the Los Angeles Regional Reentry Partnership Education Committee is back like she left something. Come to the stage next. Y'all know who it is. One of my favorite people in the motherfucking industry, D. Sugar Coplin. Easily, thank you sugar. so much, Rico. I'm gonna have to send you a, a pound of sugar on that <laughs> Good morning on this Memorial Day. I send we I send love, light, and healing to my family and to all those who have been touched by the war who memorialize their loved ones on this day. Please let us give a moment of silence. With that said, melanoma and carcinoma patients, there's good news for you on this Wellness Monday. There has been a recent case report out of Riverside. Thanks to normal, my headline reads, topical CBD preparation resolves skin cancer lesions. The topical application of an ointment containing 20% CBD has shaken up researchers affiliated with UC Riverside and with UC Davis, according to a case report published in the journal Curious. Here they summarize their finding. They wrote, a 64-year-old woman with multiple biopsy-confirmed cutaneous squamous cell carcinomas presented with a new red plaque on her dorsal left hand. Her biopsy revealed lichen simplex chronicus, chronicus, I think is how it said. However, she self-initiated treatment with topical cannabinoid oil she acquired that consisted of 20 milligrams of cannabidiol in emu oil twice daily, and the lesion completely resolved within four weeks. Several prior biopsy confirmed squamish 
cell carcinomas on her dorsal hands also completely regressed after similar treatment with topical cannabinoid oil. Squamish cell carcinoma is the second most common form of skin cancer. Authors concluded both malignant cancer and chronic dermatitis completely resolved with the treatment. And we attribute the clearance of her skin tumor to the cannabidiol. Therefore, the possibility of treating non-melanoma skin cancer such as squamish cell carcinoma with topical cannabinoids may warrant further investigation. Numerous preclinical studies, as well as a limited number of case reports, document cannabinoids' ability to act as anti-neoplastic agents. The topical application of cannabinoids also has shown benefits in the treatment of a variety of skin-related conditions, including psoriasis, erythema, puritis, and acne. It has also been associated with wound healing in patients with refractory leg ulcers and with a rare skin blistering disease epidermolysis bullosa. In conclusion, cannabinoids are useful in the management of several systematic diseases. Indeed, they have also been observed to be potentially effective in the treatment of cosmetic skin conditions and cutaneous diseases. As shown in the original report, they are providing, they are proving therapeutic in the management of various forms of skin cancer. Indeed, this shows magnificent promise for more vital research through healing with our favorite flower, cannabis. That wraps it up for me. Don't forget to vote. Happy new moon, everyone, and set your intentions. This is good news for CBD. And Jason, I'd like to hear what you have to say. And Laura, I'd like to hear what you have to say as well. This is Dee Sugar Coplin, easily reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Curious to hear what all has to say. Can I can a bit well, I mean, he, yeah, I mean, I can attest to this. I, this worked for me. I used, uh, I had cancer on my nose and I used a product um, by a doctor in Berkeley who is just amazing, Dr. Mia. Shout out to you if you're out there. Uh, and um, this was actually pre-64, so, you know, it was a, a little bit untried, but my dermatologist had tried everything um, and they were getting ready to cut a big old hole in my nose. And I said, wait, stop. And I, so I tried topicals and it completely cleared up. It's gone. It hasn't come back. It's been years. Um, and I still spend a ton of time in the sun and my nose is still intact. And so amen to this story. Thank you so much, Sugar, for bringing this one. It's amazing. You are it's welcome. A, Glad to. Oh, such a, Dr. Mary here too. Such a great story to hear from you about the treatment of skin conditions. And you're right. There are numerous, I mean, a shocking number of case reports where, and a case report is different from a study, you know, a case report just describes an incident that somebody uh, saw and just wanted, wants to alert other people that, uh, that this happened so that other people could add to the case reports. And then that would lead to, you know, a survey or a small randomized controlled trial to do a study. So these little case reports that say that somebody got great relief from using cannabis on their skin is are very powerful and will eventually lead to additional study. But yeah, psoriasis, eczema, uh, chronic lichen simplex, uh, like this woman was experiencing squamous cell cancers, all with great responses. Um, and, you know, and, and all of those are great places to uh, apply a product that helps to you know promote healthy cellular growth. We've got Clay up from the audience. Clay, you've got your party hat on. Welcome to Clubhouse. Did you want to weigh in on Sugar's headline? Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm new to Clubhouse, but um, yeah, I just thought, you know, your talk was really interesting, um, specifically from the case study. Um, one thing I just wanted to ask was, you know, was it just CBD being applied or was it like, uh, you know, something more a part of the cannabis plants, um, such as like the terpenoids or anything like asking. that matter? Thank you for asking that, Cliff. I saw that question in the chat. And I do want to note that from the original report, there was no study performed. First of all, there was emu oil. That's why I mentioned it in the story. Emu oil also has healing properties that work on wounds and all kinds of wonderful things. And I just want to note that the original report said that there was no study performed to evaluate the treatment of cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma with topical emu oil alone or in combination with to evaluate those properties working in tandem as there are some great healing properties, as I said, with emu oil as well. 
I tend to make CBD oils uh, and CBD salves as well. Susan has tried one of mine when she uh, had a, uh, some issues with her uh, broken wrist. And um, I do combine mine also with botanical uh, properties as well. I actually use botanical properties first, make sure that works, and then I add the CBD or and sometimes THC into the oils as well. So I'm going to relight the room really quick. This hour is flying by. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any exceptions in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. We've got a lot of stories to cover, so let's keep smoking it. Oh, yeah. Coming up next, she's an original breeder with a golden bong from California to Michigan and now back to Cali, y'all. From the D to the OC, she brought it back, back to Cali. Cali, CEO of the Original Breeders League and mother of two with the ability to spawn more due to her fertilian breeding abilities. It's Priscilla Agoncillo. Good morning. Thank you, Jason. Uh, so my story, speaking of freedom today, uh, is from the Independent in Singapore. So Raj Kumar Ayakami, 40, and Ramadas Panusami, 41, were charged over a bag of drugs containing less than one 0.875 kilograms of cannabis. So long story short, this guy Ramadas was caught delivering what he thought was this thing called butterfly, which in Singapore is a tobacco laced with a synthetic chemical that produces a very similar narcotic effect to cannabis. So this guy Raj committed, uh, admitted to ordering butterfly, but not cannabis. Uh, Ramadas also said that he did not even know exactly what he was delivering. He was just doing his job. In that same trip, he also delivered bricks not the booth kind, but the building kind. Raj was sentenced to the mandatory death sentence, while Ramadas was uh, sentenced to life imprisonment and a mandatory minimum of 15 strokes of the cane. Under Section 5 of the Misuse of Drugs Act, it is an offense for a person on his or her own behalf or on behalf of any other person, whether or not that person is in Singapore, to traffic in a controlled drug offer to traffic in a controlled drug or to do or offer to do any act preparatory to or for the purpose of trafficking in a controlled drug. The Court of Appeal accepted the two men's appeals and overturned their convictions on Friday. This is a very significant advancement for those in Singapore because the law enforcers are notorious for its extreme measures of punishment around chewed gum, spitting, and drugs. And it looks like they're attempting to make a more rational decision around offenses instead of their normal cut-off-their-heads bit. Can you imagine facing an automatic death penalty sentence for token up? Uh, so maybe in countries like this, it would, it might be a good idea to secretly dose their leadership with LSD because these laws are the real crime against humanity and they need desperately a perspective shift. This is Priscilla reporting for the SOC News Hour. Okay, I amend my my position, Priscilla. You're right. The leaders do need to be dosed. Um, you you know, I I look through the the cannabis news globally seven, eight, nine, ten times a day, and I can't believe how much news there is right now around the world about people getting arrested for uh, growing cannabis. And, uh, you know, we, we live in a little bubble. We need to realize that, uh, you know, it's still the drug war is alive and well in the world. And also that we're really only as strong as our weakest link. You know, if we continue to allow these situations to perpetuate internationally and not to come out with a strong position against them, you know, it, 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 allows that consideration to be brought back to the table here. I mean, just like we're seeing with women's rights, these rights can come and they can go. Amen. The genie can be put back in the bottle. Shall we keep smoking news? Oh, uh, yeah. He's an amazing storyteller with a smoother delivery than Uber Eats. And he's all about getting that good information and that informational access to the people. A communication strategist and publisher of the Daily Bugle, excuse me, the American Cannabis Report. Up next, 
Superman in the motherfucking flesh of the motherfucking sesh, Christopher Smith. What you got for us today? Thank you, Rico. Good morning, Susan and Jason, uh, and happy happy Memorial Day. My story today is from Marijuana Politics. You see the headline, I guess, there. Um, A good story from Memorial Day. The United States Cannabis Coalition is proud to announce the appointment of retired U.S. US Army Sergeant Boone Cutler to its advisory board, a noted author, radio show talk host, and veterans advocate, Cutler's an important activist for cannabis PTSD treatment and joins board member and former U.S. Army infantryman Tyler Nixon on USCC's Committee on Veterans Access. So I have to admit, I have a hankering for this guy. If there's one person who's responsible for motivating me to have written more than 500 articles on cannabis and come on the State of Cannabis News Hour over 150 times, it's Boone Cutler. He helped me reach a whole new level of understanding about why cannabis is so important, especially for veterans, how cynical the Veterans Administration is in forcing wounded veterans into an opiate nightmare, which is perhaps one of the reasons why the suicide rate is the highest ever among active military and more than 6,000 veterans take their lives each year. Boone Cutler was an Army paratrooper in Iraq. He fought in Fallujah. He was hit by a mortar shell explosion that ended his career but caused 17 surgeries at Walter Reed and other VA hospitals where they gave him what he called a combat cocktail, 27 different mainly opiate and psych-based medications. Recognizing that this overload of pills was ruining his life, Cutler switched to medical cannabis and finally found relief from his symptoms. He was one of the founders of Warfighter Hemp Company in Colorado. And also his situation was so bad that he considered suicide many times himself and then created the Spartan Pledge, which is well known and has been read on the floor of Congress. I will not take my own life by my own hand until I talk to my battle buddy first. My mission is to find a mission to help uh, to help my warfighter family. Cannabis literally saved my life, he said. The VA's combat cocktail was killing me. I was a zombie and my symptoms were getting worse, not better. When I learned that Israel and other developed countries successfully use cannabis to treat issues like mine, it became my mission to fight for my warfighter family to get the same life-saving cannabis that helped me. Together with the USTC, uh, we will win the fight for real PTSD treatment. The demonization of cannabis is a quote from uh, Mr. Cutler. The demonization of cannabis has become a political movement that's partnered big money pharma lobbyists with politicians to keep it all going for decades Good people have been duped, bad people have been made rich, and our families have suffered needlessly. Cannabis-based medicine helps when we stop the madness and treat the patient. And board member, uh, another USCC board member, Michael Bowen, concurred by saying Boone is the voice for millions of our veterans pleading to replace the VA's opiate overload with safer marijuana alternatives. Our work together in ending the pot prohibition will save millions of lives. Uh, The U.S. Cannabis Coalition is a very interesting group. Uh, Real quickly, from the roster of its advisory board, we can see it's a wildly bipartisan group. It was founded by known conservative Roger Stone, Trump advisor, and uh, Democratic activist John Morgan, and is all led by Stephen Hawking, former head of the ACLU. And I look forward to interviewing Mr. Hawkins in the next two weeks. And finally, because I mentioned uh, suicide several times, I want to add this information from my research if you are a veteran in crisis, please call 911 or the Veteran Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255. If you're a veteran who needs help, please call 211. Veterans will be directed to veteran assistance, including legal aid, health, and financial resources. And I'm done speaking. Thank you so much, Christopher, for coming to us with that story. There are so many vets that need that information. Thank you. I will forward some information to them. Roger Stone, huh? I know, right? That's it's just, I, know. <laughs> I know he's involved, but it's, it's just so strange, gross. It's so gross. It's a strange collection. <laughs> Roger is a fucking character. Bone is a character, too. He's a too. penguin. Yeah. A penguin. It's, a strange, it's a strange collection, but they're getting things done. So. Cannabis yeah, no, is I've, a known, I've known Bone for a long time. Well, I think adding uh, Boone to this list is going to be, I think it's going to add some credibility to the organization. Do you think it'll even out? Yeah, I hope that's not, I hope that's not the only reason he's there. Let's hope, let's hope for the best. He he just, he just brings the real experience. He's the real deal. You're saying Roger Stone is not the real deal? Absolutely. 
Roger Stone is the man. Ugh, 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 the penguin. Roger Stone is the penguin. You can't make this shit up. So good. Coming next to the stage, it's Mary Clifton. She's the MD and and CEO at CBD and CannabisInfo.com and the Cannabinoid Protocol Dream Tarts host of the Doctor's Lounge podcast. What do you have this morning for us, Mary? Well, it's my debut and I'm so excited today. Thanks, you guys, for having me. I am sharing an article from the... Sorry, I was a little late on that. <laughs> Yay, we're so glad to have you. I'm really excited. Uh, the, I, I'm sharing an article with you from the American Council on Science and Health. Is pot really safe? This is Tales from the ER, an interview with Dr. Ronit Lev. Uh, Dr. Uh, Ronit is the... Um, former head of Scripps Medical Hospital Emergency Department, and also an addiction specialist. So she talks about in this article the uh, increase in the number of people being seen in the emergency room. In fact, saying that when she does an ER shift, she's seeing a, a person who is dealing with side effects uh, due to cannabis addiction or having a bad outcome from cannabis at, at every single shift. Uh, she, she comments that we're using cannabis Cannabis as uh, a product that with that doesn't have safety information, that doesn't have studies, and that medically it is safer to take a regulated and prescribed opioid such as hydrocodone or oxycodone under a doctor's supervision than taking unregulated high dose THC products with various contaminants and adulterants. Uh, her her biggest beef is with the high potency THC. Just commenting that THC is different nowadays than it was, uh, yeah, at least when I was a kid. That the THC concentrations are higher, and that that's leading to more episodes of uh, cannabis-induced psychosis and cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. Um, which she describes the symptoms of cannabis hyperemesis syndrome as scrometing, screaming and vomiting. Uh, and that's uh, the first time that I, that I have ever uh, seen that. And also states in this article that there are reported deaths from, from cannabis hyperemesis syndrome because of electrolyte imbalance, you know, because the potassium or magnesium could get low enough that it could throw the heart into uh, a dysrhythmia. Um, but it, it, And she believes that this problem is caused by this inundation of cannabinoid receptors by THC over a long period of time, uh, causing uh, uh, the, the neurons in the brains to act irregularly and leading to this uh, sort of centrally induced, like brain-induced uh, 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 nausea and vomiting syndrome. And then also saying that there's this cannabis-induced psychosis that is, quote, common uh, because THC is uh, lipophilic, absorbed by the fat, absorbed by the fatty brain, and that that is leading to multiple health emergencies, uh, which is worsened by the fact that we have less mental health beds. So we have patients who live in the emergency departments for weeks with their cannabis-induced psychosis waiting for beds. Um, the whole article, very, uh, very sensationalized and uh, very inflammatory. There's no antidote for any, any of these people who are coming in with their hyperemesis, nor is there an antidote for the psychosis. You just have to let the THC uh, uh, concentrations go down, which oftentimes takes days for these people on these high THC products. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, again, states her support for using, uh, uh, prescribed opioids that have been, uh, well tested and reports that the cannabis use disorder or addiction is, has a different, uh, a different, um, symptomatology around it than opioid withdrawal uh, or opioid addiction, but that it is, uh, it is significant and again, common and under-recognized in these high THC uh, products. So, um, so quite an inflammatory and sensational article uh, 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 published on May 26. I'd, I'd like your input on all of these things that I have my own opinion I'll share and uh, I'm done speaking. My mother had dementia the last two years of her life, and she took handfuls of pills. And after she died, I looked up all of those pills and the side effects, and many, many of them had dementia as a side effect. 
So, you know, well, I think frequently when somebody comes into the ER and they get a blood, they do, they do a drug test, uh, and, and it pops for, uh, cannabis, then cannabis is the cause for the problem. You know, so if you, you know, I, I've talked to several people who have shown up at the ER with a nausea and vomiting syndrome and they admit to smoking weed and then they become a cannabis hyperemesis syndrome when they're actually just a food poisoning or, or a viral gastroenteritis. Uh, but, I think that might be because we want to diagnose something that's new and exciting and probably also because there's a hospital code that is that we can check for cannabis use that will, you know, increase the value of the entire admission. I mean, when I used to work in the hospital, there was a period of time that coma was a really good code and if you and we got trained on how to identify coma and and what what people are in a coma even if it's for a few hours of unresponsiveness uh, you know we could code that as a coma and get like eight grand for that code so it became a very popular code for the flash in the pan that it was that it had oh my a god reimbursement rate right are you serious so, so someone could be blackout drunk and they get a coma charge right. <laughs> Yes, that is a coma. <laughs> so, so I think similarly here when she's saying, oh my God, everybody's got cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. I don't find that to be the reality in real life. And, sim- and the same thing with cannabis-induced psychoses. There's a lot of other contributors, but if cannabis is on board, you know, I'd be curious. And I don't know for sure what the coding, what kind of coding nightmares are going on around this. I, I'd need to talk to a hospital biller uh, to really know. And I wasn't able to do that prior to, uh, prior to today. I wouldn't be surprised if that's used for an excuse to deny claims because it's mm. federally illegal, right? Then you get that too. That, I mean, they are using it to deny claims for workers comp, you know, so uh, in it, workers comp, uh, claims go way down in states where cannabis is legalized because if they find it, they'll just say that the worker was high. We've got uh, Nicole Buffong up from the audience. Nicole, you get the last word on this story. Uh, just really quick, I, I have so many issues and questions when it comes to um, this the particular diagnosis. Are, are they determining you know, is there a way to determine if it's because of overconsumption of cannabis? Are they smoking the cannabis in a tobacco leaf? Are they smoking cannabis in an unregulated market? That means that they could they could be sprayed with anything. So it's not the cannabis causing it at all. Um, there's so many questions I have around this supposed diagnosis that is caused by cannabis um, that is new to our industry and is new to society. It's never um, been um, diagnosed before in the last you know, thousand years. And so it's very interesting to me to hear these cases come up. Um, thank you for bringing up this article. Amen. Thank you. Hey, lady. Yeah. Let's keep smoking the news. <laughs> In our next correspondence rearview mirror, it's a uniform issue gun and a badge. Surely it's a past prone to scrutiny, but he's learned and grown from experiences with the boys in blue, and he draws upon in inside knowledge as our go-to source for law enforcement-related stories. Currently a security consultant at CC Security Solutions and a fellow dope Faja, here to increase your chances of survivability, it's Chris Eggers. What you got for us today, my man? Uh, Rico, thanks for putting a smile on my face this Monday morning. Uh, my article today comes from Westward, and the headline reads that is Allen Iverson too late to the celebrity cannabis game? Now, Allen Iverson was one of my favorite players in the NBA. Allen Iverson is returning to Denver, sort of. The NBA icon and basketball Hall of Famer was a member of the Denver Nuggets from 2006 to 2008. Uh, and although the team's success was marginal during that time, the Nuggets just won one playoff game in the first two-round exits. Iverson still had cultural impact on the city, pairing with teammate Carmelo Anthony, one of my other favorite players in the NBA, to create one of the more potent scoring duos. Now, Allen Iverson is partnering up with a former teammate, Harrington, Al Harrington, who has Viola Brands, and they are combining to bring a line of marijuana concentrates to Colorado. And although fans miss Iverson, their comments on Westwood post of Allen Iverson's deal suggest that they're not thrilled by another celebrity weed brand. Says Josh in his best Oprah impression, you get a weed brand, you get a weed brand, and you get a weed brand. Jared said, bro, bro, is way too late to the game in this state. And another comment said that nobody, quote, brings cannabis products to other states they simply slap their brand on some concentrate 
that is already being made in Colorado. Same goes for Willie's Reserve and other celebrity cannabis brands. It's all just a name slapped on someone's product that you can buy for less if you know who's producing it. Another comment said, he isn't bringing it to a legal state, uh, or is this somehow exclusive to, to Colorado? And then my favorite comment, somebody said, suggested it should be called Alan Hiverson. Curious what you folks think about this celebrity brand. I know uh, some of these conversations get pretty spicy when we talk about celebrity brands. Uh, I'm sure we have a lot of folks in the audience from Colorado. Thank you for allowing me to contribute. Uh, my name is Chris Eggers, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I don't think it's too late to the game. I think um, he is going to do good in all of the different cities that he actually played. And so many people have nostalgia around Allen Iverson. He's one of the greatest players ever to, to grace the fucking court. And uh, just for that uh, simple nostalgia, people are going to buy the product. Whether it does well long term or not, we'll wait and see. But uh, I think he'll be fine at, at the launch at all, of all these cities that he's doing the tour with. And he came on with uh, uh, with um, uh, Al Harrington and announced the brand uh, probably a, a year ago. I mean, he's been working on the product, I guess, and and you know working on developing the brand, etc. So uh, it's not like he just started yesterday. Uh, he just landed yesterday, but he's been uh, he's been going at it for yeah. A while. And he's on the ground. He's on the ground too, uh, supporting it. So um, celebrity brands are so boring to me when we have these amazing farmers that have built this industry for decades and they're getting crushed, whatever. Uh, support your support your mom and pop farmer. I'm going to keep it rolling because we've only got a few more minutes. Uh, and this is super important, you guys. Uh, the media loves this story. And we need to do something about it. So far, since yesterday afternoon, this story has been picked up by the U.S. News, the Epoch Times, the Washington Post, AP News, KCRA, ABC News, Marin Independent Journal, Our Quad Cities, the San Diego Union Tribune, the Mercury News, ABC4 Utah, the Sacramento Bee, the State, Spectrum News, News 10 ABC, New York Daily News, and NBC Bay Area. So all of those outlets that I could see have covered this story. And the headline is California, uh, California school kids sickened after uh, eating cannabis candy. So this happened at Jake, Jacob, Jacoby Creek Elementary in the Humboldt County community of Bayside. The student that brought the candy, they were gummies, didn't know they had cannabis in them. The student shared them with four other kids Three children were taken to receive medical attention, and you can be darn sure that the diagnosis was cannabis because they were displaying signs of intoxication. Um, the principal, Milani Nenzi, told parents in an email, all three kids were released from the hospital and are doing well. The classroom was initially evacuated over concerns the kids might have been reacting to carbon monoxide exposure. Uh, Nanazi said, this was a frightening incident for our entire school community. The Arcata Police Department is investigating, Officer Heidi Grossman said. Grossman warned parents to keep cannabis products, especially those that look like candy, in a safe spot away from children. We need a PSA campaign to get adults to take this seriously. I don't want my grandchildren's first cannabis experience to be a negative one. Nobody deserved to be dosed unknowingly, especially a child, except for leaders in countries where they have death sentences for cannabis. So y'all, come on, we got to do something about this. It doesn't look good for the industry. Do you really think that they ate those unknowingly or they were just fucking kids being kids being kids? Either way, it doesn't matter. It's a headline that every outlet is picking up. It seems like a third grader, I mean, wouldn't really be this naughty. I would, I could see it in a 13-year-old, like somebody bringing their stuff into school and the other kids getting into it. But a third grader probably was just eating somebody else's gummy. Yeah. I think a lot of this comes from, as we constantly see, these illicit gummies that, and other products that look so similar to regular things. 
Yeah, it's a problem. Uh, we're going to do a campaign and we're going to make a difference. But we've reached the top of the hour. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show, anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that come through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. Thank you, Rico and Jason, for co-producing the show with me and our pinup girl, Liz Rogan. And thank you audience for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Thank you for joining us. Have a great Memorial Day. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. Happy Memorial Day Monday, everybody. <laughs> hey, what are you still doing here? The show's over. You just don't want to leave, do you? I know. We love you, too. Help us grow by grabbing some of our merch. We've got hats, bags, hoodies, water bottles, all the standards. It would really mean a lot. Go to justsaycare.org backslash shop today. Really, I mean it, today. With the supply chain issues, you might get it by Christmas. The good news is that inflation will be so bad, you'll be locked into a low, low price. Remember, justsaycare.org. Thanks. Okay, go listen to another podcast. Bye.